Welcome to Thrive Lathrop Podcast. Here at our church, we believe that everyone can thrive. Make sure to subscribe to our channel and enjoy this life-changing message. Right, well, good morning. Wow, what a packed 1030. Come on. Amen. This is good stuff. Listen, do me a favor. If you have some seats next to you or if we could scoot in, that would be great. Don't worry. No one's going to uh, bite you, okay? You're good, but we just want to make some room. You know, there's always that one family that might come a little bit late, but we still want to make them feel a little welcome, which is good. Um, and all the moms, happy Mother's Day. Come on, let's give it for our moms in the house. Moms, grandmas, aunties, spiritual moms, all of it, all of it. We love you. All the men, you know that your job is not as hard as their job. Come on. Let's be honest. And I, and I pray, moms, that, that the men in your life made that reservation. Come on, somebody. Because you're about to try to go to Olive Garden right now without a reservation. And you're going to need a miracle. Come on. You're going to need some breakthrough. We're going to have to have a prayer meeting just so you can get a plate. And fellas, right now, get on your phone. If you need to, okay? Listen, we, moms, we love you. And I pray that you are so honored and celebrated today. And here at Thrive, we just had a little bit of treats for the family and some desserts and breakfast food. But, but you deserve way more than that. And I pray that Jesus does an amazing thing in your life this year and for the years to come, okay? Sound good? All right, let's give it up for the moms one more time in the house. Come on, come on. Also, we got, we got all the little ones. What's up? What's up, kids? If you're a kid, raise your hand. Come on. Little one, little one. Yeah. There's some adults raising their hands. Y'all are wild. Got like a 35-year-old in the back. Like me. Me, Pastor Chris. First service, there was like a 60-year-old. And I was like, brother, you going to Oaks. You know what I'm saying? You're not. Come on. <laughs> All right, let's have fun. Why not? Okay, cool. Hey, do me a favor. Stand to your feet. Let's jump into the Word this morning. Come on, let's jump into the Word. So excited to share with you. Today, we are going to be continuing our series called Beautiful Resistance. Uh, 9 a.m. was just incredible. Like, God just moved, and it was real special. And I think God's just going to kind of leak it into the service for sure. And so we're going to read Genesis 39 not like one through five, Genesis 39, okay? So you're gonna get all your Bible reading done for the day. Cool? We're gonna read a whole chapter, like old school church. <laughs> all right, y'all got excited for old school church. They didn't have coffee at old school church, I'm just saying. Okay, let's do it. Genesis 39, Genesis 39. And for the little ones in the room, why do we stand? We stand because the word of God is what we stand on. So every week we stand when we, when we whoever's gonna preach, whoever's gonna give the message, we, amen, see, amen, amen. But we stand because it's the greatest authority. The Bible, the word of God is the greatest authority in our life, okay? And so we stand for it out of honor and it's higher than what, your parents say, I know that sounds crazy, out of what your parents say, what your teachers say, what anybody says, the Bible is the greatest authority in your life. So that's why we stand and that's why we honor it. Cool? Okay. I just, I just wanted you to know that. I just, just so you know, okay? Let's do it. Genesis 39. I'm excited. Let's read into it. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Verse two, the Lord was with Joseph. 
And he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. Verse 3, his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight, attended to him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From that time on, he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of God, the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house in the field. Verse 6. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Verse. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Come on, somebody. Joseph, verse 7, verse 7. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master, behold, because of me and my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her, verse 11. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were in the house, were there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her her hand and fled and got out of the house. Verse 13, and as he soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us and come into me to lie with me. And I cried with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted my voice, he and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. Verse 17. And she told the same, she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant who you have brought among us came in to me to lie, to laugh with me, to lie with me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and flew out of the house. As soon as his masters heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. Verse 20, we're almost done. And Joseph's master took him, put him into a prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph. Come on. Yeah. And showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Come on, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for what you're doing in this house, what you're doing here to thrive. And I pray this morning that you would speak to your people. We would have an ear to hear what you're saying, no matter how young, no matter how old we are. And God, I pray we would tune in and we would lean in. And God, you would speak to our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. 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 Have a seat. So, so excited to preach today. Uh, Pastor Maribel did an incredible job last week. Come on, let's give it up for Pastor Maribel. Joseph in the pit. Come on. And um, as I... I was laughing with my wife because as I was preparing for this month and preparing for the message, I said, babe, I'm about to preach a Mother's Day message on Potiphar's wife. <laughs> That's not, not normal. 
And, 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 and she was so funny. She goes, well, hopefully no one thinks you're talking about them. And I said, let the Holy Spirit do it if he wants. It, it is. It's a little bit different. It's a little bit different. But in praying and processing, one of the things even, uh, I was in Michigan last week um, for an event. And, and I was talking with one of the pastors. And one of the things he was talking about, one of the guys who was speaking at that event said, sometimes we need to um, not be on the same rhythm and the same calendar as like the world's calendar. Like sometimes we just need the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do and speak what he wants to speak. And, and as I was praying, I really felt like this series was from God and it just so happened to land on Mother's Day um, that we're going to talk about Potiphar's wife. I also realized um, this is the one week where kids are in the room. <laughs> My bad, mom and dad. Hopefully you don't have the King James Version because that's way more in detail. So some of y'all are going to have to have some conversations on the way home, and I pray that Jesus gives you grace. So your little one, when they ask, who's Potiphar's wife? Why was she mean to Joseph? You can explain what being mean was in a very godly way. So we're not going to get into the details of that for sure. Um, but but what, what I, I do think is strategic, and what I do think is from God, is that when we look at the life of Joseph, and we could just keep, yep, perfect, that beautiful resistance graphic. We've been talking about how a life of, of, of resistance, a life of conviction, a life of choosing Jesus over everything else, and what I do think is true today is that we do live in a society and a culture that would try to um, indoctrinate and teach and almost, in a way, disciple um, our kids and our young people, and even us into their way. But what we find through the life of Joseph, there's a way, and that way is Jesus. And it is in his resistance, it is in his choosing of God, and it is his love and his devotion to Jesus, we find that God just does incredible things through the life of Joseph. And if there is any time in society that we need to learn what it means to have conviction and stick to our guns, and to choose Jesus above all else, it's today. It's today. And so moms, like, you do this. You fight for your kids every day. You fight for them. You fight their teachers. Come on. You fight that kid at the park. I know, because Nessa, she, she, my wife, I love her. But on that baseball field, she's a different person. Because you're messing with her kid. You know what I'm saying? You fight. And, and so what I, I would believe that that same tenacity that the, in the heart of a mother is the same tenacity that Joseph has to fight for his love and his devotion to Jesus and the calling that Joseph has on his life and that you and I would begin to understand no matter how young or how old we are, that you and I are in a war over our heart. And there's an enemy that wants to steal and kidnap and isolate you and destroy what God wants to do. But there's a God who's won your heart already. What we find in this story, 
This story is not about Joseph saying no to Potiphar's wife. However, this story is more about the war over Joseph's heart, but that God has already won the war over Joseph's heart. And now Joseph now has to live in the reality that his heart has been conquered by God. His heart is so and completely in love with Jesus. His heart has been fully surrendered to God. And so no temptation, no matter how strong, can sever the relationship he has with Jesus. See, if there's anything that I want to talk about today, it's this, is that Joseph's life gives us a model to do what's right and not what's easy. If we could throw that up, that would be great. To do what's right and not what's easy. Because can I tell you that if you're going to love Jesus and you're going to serve God and you're going to follow him and you're going to trust him, God is going to call you to do what's right and not what's easy. And in a society and a culture that would tell you to do what's easy because that's what makes you feel good. In this kingdom, it's a different way. And Joseph, in this story, I can't think of any other story to prove this point than the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Because here you have in this passage, Joseph, who has now been sold into slavery. The Bible says that he's been sold into slavery by his family. Pastor Maribel talked about that last week, how he was thrown into the pit. His parents have, lied, have been lied to that he is dead, and now he's a slave in an Egyptian household. His closest family members, his brothers, are the ones who sell him into slavery. And, and even if you look at it, it also says the Ishmaelites. And technically, he's related to the Ishmaelites. They're his third or fourth cousins removed. And what happens when your family does you real dirty? Come on. It hurts the most. Joseph has been done an incredible injustice. And it was not his fault and now he is living in the reality as a slave to the Egyptians because of what someone else did to him. Not only is Joseph a slave, we find that in his story, in this story, at the end of the story, Joseph decides to choose Jesus. And because he decides to not do what Potiphar's wife wants him to do, come on now, Joseph ends up being sent to prison for doing the right thing, not the wrong thing. And if there is anyone who has an excuse to do what's easy, it's Joseph. His parents think he's dead. He's a slave in a household. His family hates him. He feels so far away. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where God has given me a promise. Come on. Where you've prayed in your room. You've come to church on a Sunday. You went to a small group. You did whatever you need to do. And, and you went to a conference. And God gives you a glimpse or an image or a picture of the promise of your life. The promise of your family. Like your son coming back home to Jesus. Or your daughter coming back home to Jesus. Or that cousin or that niece or that nephew. Or your family getting restored. I don't know about you, but sometimes God will give the dream. Joseph in this time is living as far from the dream as you can get. What happens when the dream is completely opposite of your current reality? That's Joseph. But what does Joseph do? Joseph serves Jesus with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the Bible says that he gets promoted all the way to the top. Joseph now finds himself in a position he didn't deserve finds himself in a position he didn't get. Why? Because the Bible says it wasn't just because Joseph was a good worker, but it's because God was with Joseph. 
And in all that Joseph did, God was with him. See, what you have to understand is that when your and I relationship with Jesus is not just vertical, it's horizontal. It will affect the people around you. And so he has everything, access to everything. And the Bible says not only is he incredibly wise and he has favor on his life, he also looks good. Come on now. He looks good. He's handsome. He's a good-looking young man. And the Bible says that because of this, Potiphar's wife, which I find it very interesting that the Bible doesn't even give her a name. I would just imagine that's how scandalous she is. Sometimes you don't even have to remember the names of people in your life that are scandalous to you. <laughs> the Bible says that, that Potiphar's wife goes up to Joseph and, you know, tries to do some things that aren't godly. And the Bible says, that, and, th and this is where I want to really lock in because, because this is why I believe the story connects to us. Like if you're like, well, that's not happening to me at work. Well, that's okay. You might not be as handsome as Joseph. That's cool. <laughs> Okay, that was for free. I didn't say that for service. That was funny. Um, <laughs> no, but... <laughs> oh, man, I'm going to get an email. It's okay. It's all right. What, 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 what I found, though, which, which is completely connected to the story, is the Bible says that, that, that Potiphar's wife then daily went to Joseph and tempted him. Daily went to Joseph and tempted him. Daily went to Joseph and tempted him. And can I tell you that we are living in a society and a culture today that has an onslaught to ruin the thing that God has done in your life. The enemy hates your guts. And if he can get you to mess up, if he can get you to sever, if he can get you to fall, because if he can get you to distance yourself from God, then he's winning. But Joseph models to us that it doesn't matter if it's happening daily. And what I, what I find interesting is this, is that Joseph is tempted, not because he's doing things wrong, but because he's doing everything right. And some of you are in the room today wondering, why is it so hard right now? Why is Jesus, I go to group, I try to read my Bible, I try to pray, I go to church, I'm doing the right things, I'm, I've stopped doing everything that I used to, but yet I feel this intense external spiritual and physical pressure in my life. Can I tell you, it's not because you're messed up, it's because God is doing something real on the inside of you. And if God can do that thing and build that thing and grow, that thing then just imagine how mad Satan is and he's mad because he doesn't like you he's never liked you he won't come on yes he won't so Joseph experiences the pressure of Potiphar's wife because the enemy hates him but God loves Joseph and so what I want to do is just go through a few points, if that's okay. How do we do what's right instead of what's easy? How do we do, how do, we do that? How do, how do you and I do that? How do you and I live a life as a true disciple, as someone who loves Jesus, to allow the love of God to determine the actions of our behavior, to, to let the gospel transform us inside out so we're no longer who we used to be? How do, how do we live in this reality? I just want to give you a couple things. Number one is the storm, let me start off with this, is no excuse to fall. 
It's no excuse to fall. If there was anyone who had an excuse to have a, to have a side bay, come on. It's Joseph. If there's anyone who had an excuse to let something happen in his life, to do that little thing in secret. See, 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 in the story, right? Potiphar's wife, she finally gets him. And it says they were left alone. And I can imagine Joseph in that moment saying, well, no one's going to find out. Come on, isn't, isn't that how sin whispers in your ear? Well, my spouse isn't going to know. My friends aren't going to know. My pastor's not going to find out. He doesn't even follow me on Facebook or whatever. No one's going to no find out. My family's not going to find out. I cannot tell you. Yeah, cannot tell you that it's, it's, it's not true. Because this is, this is the reality. Uh, this is one of the things I was talking about in my, uh, my group this year specifically. We did a, we did a, one, of my, one of our groups was a group on how to pray. And it was a master class on how to pray. And it was a lot of fun. Um, I, I am convicted that every time I pray, I am convicted that every time I talk to Jesus, I am talking to someone who's real in the room. When I pray to Jesus, he is just as real as you and I, like me looking at you. Absolutely. Like there's times where I'm in the car by myself. Anybody pray in the car by yourself? Because how many know? Some of your kids are crazy. You got to like get away. You know, your family, whatever. So, so I pray in my car by myself and I'm, and I'm praying. It's been happening a lot recently too where like I'm just driving and you know, got a little bit of music on, worship music and Holy Spirit just hits my car and I'm like weeping and I'm like crying and I'm, and I'm, I'm talking to myself but I'm not, I'm talking to someone. I believe he's almost as if he's in the driver's seat. He's that real. Like, I feel so bad if I've ever stopped at a stop sign and someone's looking at me like a weirdo. Like, I'm weeping and I'm, and then right when I pray, like, I get really intense. If you've ever come to a devotion night, come see. It gets, it gets, it gets fun. But we pray, like we go for it. Like I'm crying out to God. I'm like in my car, like, like God, like do this right now. Do this in our life. Do and I'm crying. And someone's looking at me like, why is this dude just yelling in his car? And what I want to do, I've never seen it, but if I ever do, I want to roll down the window and be like, there's someone in the car. I'm not, it's not just me. There's someone in the car. I'm talking to someone in the car because the God of the universe is just as close as the skin that's on my, my, on my body and, 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 and the wheel that I'm holding and the car that I'm driving because the reality of God is so real. I firmly believe that. And what's fascinating to me is that what we find in this story is that if there's anyone that had an excuse to fall into sin, it was Joseph. But because Joseph knew that God was with him. And I ask you a question. Do you and I live a life where we know that God is with us? Because if you knew that God was with you, you would know that you can't, you can't, you absolutely can't let the storm cause you to fall. Because when you let the storm allow you to fall, what you're saying is that the storm is greater than the Jesus that died for you. You are saying that in your own actions and consequently in your own sin, the cross is not enough. See, Jesus calls us to not fall in the storm, not because he wants to control our lives completely, because he's a tyrant. No, no, no. It's because he understands that, Chris, 
I'm in you and what's in you is greater than what's around you because I'm inside you and that's greater than the hurricane of your life. See, I'm in you and I'm going to give you the grace and the strength and the capacity to not let anything dictate what I am calling you to do. See, I am with you and in you and if I am with you and in you, then there is no excuse to fail. Joseph shows us this. It's number two. If you want to know what to do, what's right instead of what's easy, you got to get out of the room. Oh, come on. Some of y'all in rooms you ain't supposed to be in. I know you think that you're trying to win that person to Jesus, but you're not. You're not. You know you're not. You're like, oh, I'm just witnessing to them. No, you ain't. You're participating. There's a difference between participation and witnessing. It absolutely has to do with the gospel and their lives being transformed versus you being tolerant and succumbing to the pressure that culturally you're around. And next thing you know, you step into this reality of sin and then you come into church on Sunday broken, not wanting to worship, not wanting to maybe be on time because you want to miss worship a little bit because you don't want Jesus to get up in your kitchen, not really, not really paying attention to the message not really going to group. Why? It's not because we hate you and God's not moving. It's because you feel so much shame and embarrassment because you're in a season of allowing people to do something in your life that has caused you to separate yourself from God in a way because of the sin in your life. Why can I say that? Because I've been there. Come on. I've played church. I was good at it. I knew exactly when to go to the bathroom. Come on now. Between song two and song three. <laughs> Try to have a conversation with someone in the lobby so you can miss announcements and offering. Come on. Jump into the, work, jump into the message. Pay attention the first five minutes. Go on Instagram the next 10. Maybe jump in for the last point. Pray a little prayer. Leave and do it the next week. And what is that? That, my friend, is a Christianity that is bound to action instead of being rescued by the gospel of Jesus. And then what I do is I put myself in environments throughout the week that I know I'm not supposed to be in. And instead of getting out of the room, I decide to stay in the room. And instead of letting God be the greatest influence of my life, I'm letting other things be the greatest influence of my life. And all you have to do is get out of the room. Joseph finds himself, the enemy, right? Sets it up. It's like, yes, I got him. I got him. I got Joseph. I'm finally, I got him. No one's here. No one's in the house. It's just, it's just Potiphar's wife and it's Joseph. I finally got him. He's going to fall. He's going to mess up. No man can say no to a woman when they're by themselves. But where the enemy messed up is he didn't understand how much Joseph really loved God. And the Bible says, even if my clothes got to be torn off, even if the woman's is all over me and I got to push her away, even if I have to get physically a little forceful and throw some things away and get some things away. And I, the Bible says he ran out the room. Some of us, you, you trying to moonwalk out the room. I'm not going to do it because I can't. But you, 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 you're, you're not leaving. You're not doing a one-way spread. Come on, I know, I know this is true because this is what I've done as well. I have tried to leave the room with sadness, but Joseph leaves the room with zeal and just sprints out ahead. Why? Because he understands that I cannot be in this environment. I am not going to let this woman 
destroy the dream of God in my heart. I am not going to let this woman do something to mess up or mess with my relationship with Jesus. I will. This is how he responds. I will not sin against my master and I will not sin against my God. I will not do what you're asking me to do. I'm getting out the room. And I believe that God allows opportunities for the room not to make you fail, but to conquer the sin and the generational sin of your life. Let me, let me, let me, let me help. Let me break it down. Let me break it down. And, and I've shared with this a little bit before, but, but I want to just kind of retouch it. I think I shared with it during COVID. So if you watched online, awesome. If not, that's okay. And so, so let me explain. Joseph has dealt with generational sin for years. The Bible says that Abraham is Joseph's great, great grandfather. And in Genesis, we find that Abraham lies to an Egyptian. This is really important. To an Egyptian about his wife. He tells this Egyptian Pharaoh, my wife is my sister. Because he didn't want to die. Because he thought they were going to kill him. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you're trying to figure out the thing in your life instead of asking Jesus what to do? Come on. That's what Abraham did. Abraham lies he gets caught. Luckily, everything's okay. But he lies about his wife. Straight up. Just straight up. Just lied. Just like, just nonchalantly. Like, no, that's not my wife. That's my sister. And it, it could have got really bad. Okay? Isaac is Joseph's grandfather. Isaac is, Joseph's, is Abraham's son. Isaac lies to another king in his years, when he gets older, about his wife. About his wife. In the same way he did his father. The apple didn't fall too far, too far from the tree. He was just like his dad. What happened? Isaac reciprocated the generational sin that Abraham started. Okay. We're going to keep going. Jacob is Abraham's grandson. Joseph's father lies not only to someone else, but lies to his father to steal his blessing. So you know what happens when generational sin keeps going down the line? It gets closer to home. Abraham lied to someone else. Now you have his son lying to his father. The more you tolerate generational sin, the more you don't let Jesus conquer it, the closer it gets to home and begins to, it begins to, like a disease, destroy the foundation of your household and your family line from the inside out. Jacob lies. Isaac lies. Abraham lies. They all lie. They're a bunch of liars. I don't know if you've ever been in a family where that's just your lineage. We're all alcoholics. We're all drug addicts. We're all this. We're all that. We all get divorced. We all do this. We all do that. It's just, it's what we do. I've lived in that. I've lived in that. My, my daughter, um, she's, she's getting born in three weeks. I can't believe it. It's crazy. So we named her Psalm after Psalm 24. That who, who can ascend the hill of the Lord, one with a clean hand and a pure heart. And, and I named her Psalm because I wanted her name to be Pure Scos. Because my whole life, my last name never had a connotation of purity. But because God redeemed my life. Now for the next generations to come. Scoses aren't going to be dirty, but they're going to be pure. Zadok's name means righteousness and justice. Zadok's aren't going to be generational people of sin and shame and guilt, but they're going to live in the righteousness and justice of God. That's why I named my kids, because there was something about God breaking the cycle of generational curses in my life. So, so, so Joseph, 
now gets caught in a situation where he has to tell the truth to the same Egyptians his great-grandfather Abraham lied to. Come on. And so what is God doing? God's saying, Joseph, I, I want you to fulfill the dream. But first, I need to handle this in you and your lineage. So I'm going to put you in the room because I believe you're going to conquer it a different way that Abraham couldn't conquer it. So let me, let me just give a, a, a small example. And, and, and I want to get too political on it. But like racism, okay? Racism's bad. Racism is a sin. We, we're right. We're there. If you don't know that, we'll have a conversation. I'm going to pray for you. It's bad. It's a sin. That's all we have to say. Okay, I'm not trying to get political now. Well, racism, racism, I don't need to do all that. What I'm saying is this country has had a history of being racist like 100, 200 years ago. And even sometimes it happens recently because stupid people are stupid people. Let's just be honest. How do we redeem racism? One of the ways is that God redeems an individual. And now I no longer look at the color of someone's skin, but how Martin Luther King said, by the content of the character and who they are in Jesus. I was raised to hate white people because I grew up in Hispanic East LA and white people, didn't, they weren't nice to us. Some of my favorite people now are white people. I know you don't believe it, but it's true. Not because I'm perfect, but because God washed me in his blood and God washed them in the blood and now it's completely different. And so... How do I break the racism of my generational cycle in my life? I love on someone that was the opposite race of the person who told me that I was supposed to hate. So, when, so I was talking to my friends in Michigan, and they were telling me that during COVID, they had a really hard time with the racism thing. And they asked us, well, did you have a really hard time with the racism thing at Thrive? And I was like, no, not really. I mean, it was tough. We had to have some conversations, but we're not racist. Look around you. It's what, it's what heaven looks like. It's what heaven looks like. It's why racism is such a sin. You have people who think they're Christian and they hate black people. They, go, they might, God's like, you're going to worship it to a black person your whole life in heaven. Because there's every tribe, every nation, every tongue one day. That's what, that's what it says in Philippians. So it's easy. Just love people. We don't have, we don't have to deal with it. There's, there's, there's such redemption in this house. I love it. I love that. If, I, I pray that if someone comes in this house and they experience racism from a different race, black, white, Mexican, like, like anybody could be racist, right? Like anybody, that, that they would find someone in that small group that's that race and that God, that God would redeem it. I pray that when people come in here and they walk in through these doors and they don't have a father in their life, that they find a, a spiritual father and a mentor and a friend here that would begin to heal the father wounds of someone's, of someone's life. Because that's what God did to me with Eric Baca. That's what God did to me in this house. That's God redeemed family and God redeems them. And, and, and that's what I'm saying. God will begin to put you in environments, not for you to sin, but for you to take the moment and the opportunity to let God redeem the situation. The same people that his great-grandfather Abraham lied to was the same people Joseph told the truth to. Why? Because it wasn't about Joseph. In See, that's what the enemy does. The enemy makes sin all about you. 
But God makes obedience about you and your generations to come. There is something bigger that you're fighting for. Joseph's beautiful resistance breaks the generational cycle of sin in his life. What his grandfather dealt with and his grandfather dealt with and his father dealt with, God said, enough. Joseph, kill it. Joseph, I'm going to call you to be honest. Joseph, I'm going to have you do what's right instead of easy. Why? Because I got the generations ahead of you that I'm thinking of, Joseph. I'm going to put you in an environment. I'm going to put you in a room. And this is what you're going to do, Joseph. You're not going to fall like how the rest of them fell. You're going to get out the room. Why? Because you're fighting for something greater than yourself. Do me a favor. I just want to do this real fast. Uh, give it up for Zadok Scoes. Come here, Zadok. So this is my little guy. You want to say hi? Hi. You want to say anything else? No? So I do this because a lot of you have your kids in the room as well. You are not fighting for yourself. Because see, whatever I tolerate, whatever I allow in my life now, now, now Zadok's really cute, right? Like he's a cute little kid. He's got a cool haircut and he's, he's a lot of fun. But one day he's gonna be a man. And whatever I allow in my life, Zadok will struggle with. And this is what we've done. We feel we can't call our kids higher because we've lost authority because when they come to us with their struggles, we haven't handled our struggles ourselves. And I refuse, now he's not gonna be perfect, but I refuse one day for Zadok to come to me at 16 years old and tell me, dad, I'm, I'm struggling with this and, and I'm trying to love Jesus, but I can't do this. And I refuse to tell him, son, I can't help you because I do with the same thing. Not doing that. What I'm gonna say is, son, I struggled too. But when I was younger like you, I fought it off. Not because of my own strength, but because the gospel transform me from the inside out and son we're gonna do this together and we're gonna break this off your life and we're gonna fight why because your kids and your great-grandkids and your great-great-great-grandkids aren't gonna deal with the thing that daddy went through so 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 son I'm gonna I'm gonna get out the room I'm not gonna be where I'm not supposed to I'm not gonna ever let sin be okay I'm not gonna ever let sin just be something that happens to me. I'm not gonna ever get comfortable with letting myself fall. Why? Because I'm fighting for something greater. I'm fighting for something greater. And family, what you gotta realize is you're fighting for something greater. And maybe you thought it's too late, your kids are older. It doesn't matter. You can start today. It doesn't matter if your kids are older or younger. It doesn't matter if you have kids or you don't have kids. Why? Because we are fighting for something generational. We are fighting for something that is beyond our years and what we can see. I would believe that the times I said no to the things that would try to stop my life aren't about me, but it's about this little heart right here that I would do what Joseph does. I would get out of the room. I would do what's right instead of what's easy. Come on, let's give it up for Zadok. Thanks, Zadok. Here we go. I'm sorry, I just... First, first generation Christian. 
It's me. Didn't know where Genesis was in the Bible. Seriously. Had to look at the table of contents to find Genesis. Didn't know anything about God. Heard the gospel for the first time at 12 years old. I want you to understand that. No one told me about Jesus till I was 12. Never visited a church. Never heard about God. And there are neighbors and friends and people in your life that have no idea. And God rescued my heart. And I am convinced that it's not about me. I am convinced that what I'm building is something greater. I am convinced that for generations to come that God would flip my family tree. I am not up here preaching because I think you need it. I am here preaching this message because I am reminding myself of the call of God on my life to fight for my family, to renounce anything that is against the knowledge of God, to go after Jesus wholeheartedly so that way my kids can be raised in the beautiful resistance of the gospel in Jesus. One more thing. Can I close with this? Last point. And then we're gonna take a minute is, if you wanna do what's right and it's not easy, we need to get delivered from the addiction of self-help Christianity. Here, let me just, I was gonna read it, but I'm not going to. Let me just define it real fast. Self-help Christianity is this. Unless God gives me what I want, blesses me how I want, does what I want, I'm not gonna serve him and follow him. When you make love transactional, it's not a relationship. You don't have a relationship with the cashier at the market. You're buying someone something from them. You might know them as a friend, but you don't love them. And what we have done is we have made our relationship with God transactional. We have said, God, I will give you my love, but you gotta help with this. I will give you my love, but you gotta do this. I gotta do this. And what we've done is we've become addicted to self-help Christianity. And if Joseph fell into this trap, he would have never done what God called him to do in that situation. Joseph, he could have said yes and did the thing he wasn't supposed to do. And even in his mind, probably thinking, man, maybe this is easier. Maybe I'll climb the ladder higher. Maybe I'll get closer to where I want to be in my life. Maybe the dream of God will get easier if I just mess up this one time. But it was his no that actually propelled him forward. But in the moment, he doesn't know that. And what you and I have to understand is that sometimes God will call us to do something even if it's the outcome we don't want. And what you and I have to do is we have to get delivered from self-help Christianity. We have to get delivered from this Dr. Phil, Oprah mentality that God needs to give us something because we deserve it and we're entitled to it. You are not. We cannot go into this relationship thinking that God has to do something for you. No, God wants to do something in your life, but you go in saying, God, you are worthy of my life. No matter if you do something, no matter if you don't do something, I'm not gonna determine the relationship based on a proper self-help outcome. Because if that's how you live, you will never do the hard thing. That's what I'm trying to tell you. When God calls you to do the hard thing, when God calls you to say no, you'll never do it. Because you think in your mind, it doesn't match up with my outcome plan, with my, with my thing that I want to do, with the thing that I'm trying to achieve. And God's saying, get rid of the achievements. Get rid of the outcome. Just trust in me. Just give me your whole heart. Just be completely in love with me. Follow me. Serve me. Watch me break the generational stuff in your life. Watch me help you through any storm you're going to go through. Watch me be with you always. But you've got to choose me above all else. 
Do what's right and not what's easy. Family, do what's right and not what's easy. Do what's right and not what's easy. Go after God like Joseph would go after God. Serve him wholeheartedly like Joseph served him wholeheartedly. And watch, just watch what Jesus begins to do in your life. Stand to your feet with me. Come on. Thank you again for tuning into our podcast. For more info, please visit our website at thrivelathrop.com. Have an amazing rest of your week.